welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. I haven't seen this many people in here at this time. You know, usually we start start the gathering and people are trickling in. It's like, is anyone coming today? But you're also you're here. So uh, we have a lot of people in the back. So if you're in a seat, if you could just like scoot to the center, that would be great. So more seats are available. Uh, today is Sacred Sunday. So if you don't have a bulletin, I have some. There's some in the back. There's some up here in the front. Uh, you're going to need one of those. And um, just an introduction to our good friend Jake Armerding, who's going to be leading us this morning. Yeah. So um, welcome to you all. Really glad you're here. Kathy's going to kick us off with a call to worship. So here we go. As Micah said, welcome. Welcome as you're making your way in. And uh, there are seats down front as well. And as we begin our gatherings, we like to start with a call to worship to bring ourselves to be present in this space with the intent of why we're here and what we're doing. So as we begin, here's a passage, some words from Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come and worship. Okay. Wow. All right, if you guys want to find your seats... Um, so how many of you normally come or you came today at your normal time and your seats were taken this morning? Anybody? (laughs) A few of you. Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing a few people in different spots. You know, it's difficult to make these, these choices. I feel a little bit like the weather, the weather person, you know, trying to predict the weather that's coming. And we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for weeks and weeks at, at staff meeting, like constantly having a conversation of like, I think if we put both hours together, we'd have enough room. It feels like it was summer and everything. And so we said, you know what? We're just going to go ahead and do it. And then, and then this. Um, so I say a packed room is always more fun anyways, right? You know, like, just pack them in. So, um, yeah, this is fun. This is really fun. It's good to see everybody in the same hour. Um, well, welcome to you. My name's Micah, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Really glad that you're with us. A couple things before we get started. The first of which is... If you're new, uh, we'd love to know you are here. So in the seat pockets in front of you or online, you can fill out a card, a newcomer card, and let us know that you are with us. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Uh, We'd love to get to know you, and you can get to know us a little bit. 
Um, there are also ways for you to give to Awaken. So those of you who came prepared with tithes and offerings, thank you for those. Uh, there's a number of ways you can do that online as well as in person. The black boxes at each of the exits, you can put those in there, as well as the cards if you fill them out. A few things happening this week we want to let you know about. The first of which is tomorrow, um, Mondays with Micah begins. So to the men of Awaken, if you're interested, yeah, couple, Trevor's going to be there. He's excited. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm, gonna, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm hosting breakfast twice in a month. Um, the first, second Mondays of the month is Minneapolis. The fourth Mondays of the month will be St. Paul. So tomorrow at Turtle Bread in the Longfellow neighborhood, 7 a.m. No real agenda, just to get to know uh, fellas at Awaken. So if you want to join me, I will be there. Breakfast is on you, not me. Um, but I'll be there. So that uh, we, there's a pack and play after the gathering today. So um, if you're... Uh, at Palace Park, just a couple blocks away, Sarah and the Kids Community crew are hosting that. So come uh, eat lunch, hang out with other families from Awaken. There is a second half of Life Gathering happening July the 12th. So if you, uh, if you self-profess to be in that category of um, Awakeners, uh, I'll be hosting that at my house, uh, 6.30 on the 12th. And uh, keep an eye out that day for weather. If weather is uh, inclement, we'll change the plans, and that will come by email. So if you have registered, you will get that. Uh, there's also a book study happening. Mel is leading an artist book study. That begins on the 13th, uh, Thursday, 7 p.m. The book is Terraform by uh, Propaganda, who is an artist and musician, activist, speaker, chosen by the Artists of Awaken. And last but not least, next Sunday, the 16th, um, there is a volunteer kind of thank you party that's happening at Highland Park, the pavilion we were at last week. So lunch is provided. Join us if you, uh, if you volunteer at Awaken. We'd love to say thank you for your, your time and effort. Sound good? If you um, aren't connected to the Awaken Weekly, it's an email we send out every week. And all the details for all these things are there as well as our website, which is awakenwest7th.com. Sound good? If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to find Nehemiah. It's a small little book somewhere in the Old Testament. Good luck. The table of contents will be helpful on that one. Um, we're going to begin a new series today on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is a story about rebuilding after something has been lost. So it feels fitting. Uh, it's a story about hope and finding a way when it seems like there's no way forward. It's a story about um, what you do when you've lost your home and you have to rebuild one. It's a story about um, remembering who you were so that you can go forward into who you will be. So uh, if you were here last week, we met in the park. Um, I was surprised, to be perfectly honest, at the number of people who made, made it out to the park last week. I thought with July 4th there'd be nary a, an awakener. But you guys, you turned out, which was so very encouraging um, to, to me for sure and to us as a staff. Um, Somebody asked me, like, Micah, how was it being back at Awaken, you know, after your big meeting the week before? And I, I said, you know, being in a room with 800 people uh, with whom you're, you're constantly trying to discern if you're friend or foe, you know, enemy or friend, uh, it's exhausting. And so being with you all last week felt like a flannel on a cool, crisp fall morning, you know, like your favorite flannel. It's just like, ah, my people, my people. Like, I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to wonder, you know, or... Um, and for those of you who weren't here or haven't heard the details, if you've been living under a rock, uh, after nearly 13 years of partnership with the Evangelical Covenant Church and Awaken, um, 
a little bit over a week ago, Awaken was voted out of our denomination at the 137th annual meeting of the covenant. Um, about 75% of the people in that room, delegates from churches, voted us out of harmony, which means we are no longer a covenant church. Um, and some of you, uh, some of you wondered, like, uh, and asked, what does that mean for you, Micah? Um, to be just a reminder, our church as a covenant church and Micah as an ordained covenant pastor are two totally different deals. So last week or two weeks ago was about the church. Um, I'm technically still a covenant pastor. <laughs> Uh, I am suspended um, currently, and so uh, I now begin sort of a discernment process uh, as to what I'm going to do. But for you all, your leg of the relay is over. You're, so well done. You ran uh, incredibly faithfully and honorably and with integrity, and I am proud to represent you and, and be your pastor. Uh, but your, your work is done, so thank you. Um, one more quick note about that. I just want to say a huge thank you to Alyssa and my wife, Laura, who were delegates from our church, Tom and Donna, who came down to California. Uh, and I wish you guys could have seen Alyssa, like, in her, like, working the room, working the elevators, you know, literally, like, had multiple conversations in elevators, um, befriending people before they knew who she was. And um, it, was a, it was a real... Uh, it was a sight to see. There was no better person for the job, and she really represented you all well. And last week, you know, the First Lady of Awaken grabbed a microphone and shared a few things. That doesn't happen very often, you know. But when she speaks, you know, you'd be wise to listen. And then, uh, and to the staff of our church, um, I don't, I'm so honored to be uh, a part of this community and to be a part of this team um, to Jenna, uh, she's not here this morning, but uh, uh, you couldn't find a better co-pilot and co-pastor um, and partner in crime. And uh, you, all, you all see some of the things that I do because I stand up here every week, and you don't see 95% of the things that she does, and um, this place wouldn't run without her. Um, and with, with our staff and our team. So a huge thank you to those folks. Um, and, um, and now to whatever lies ahead, yeah? Um, we're going to jump into Nehemiah. We're going to familiarize ourselves with this story, and we're going to trust that the Spirit may have something for us from these ancient words. So Larissa, if you would, uh, we'll read our text this morning. If you are able, I'd invite you to stand in body or in spirit uh, for the reading of the word. This is Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah 1, 1-4 The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year while I was at the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. God, this morning as we gather, um, I'm so grateful for the ways in which you have been faithful over the life of this church. Um, for all the people who have put their hand to the plow and 
brought their gifts and their talents, their resources, their very lives to the work of this community. Uh, For those who are here presently and for those who will be long after we're gone, uh, I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for, uh, for our previous partner in ministry and for the memories, um, for the investment, for the ways in which uh, this family has shaped us and spoken into our lives and encouraged us. <clears throat> God, we ask, uh, well, I, I suppose I'll just speak for myself. I pray and ask for uh, your blessing on your church uh, called the Covenant and uh, your church around the world and anybody who, who gathers in your name. Jesus, bring your spirit, uh, a fresh wind of it, so that we might see and hear and know who you are. Uh, Represent you to a world. I pray in the strong name of Christ and the people gathered together said, Amen. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do today. Uh, Today is the beginning of this series, and there will be quite a bit of orientation uh, as to where we are and where we're going and what sort of what we're looking at. And then I want to uh, start where Nehemiah starts, uh, which is with a little bit of weeping and mourning, uh, lament and grief. And then we'll come to the table, which we, we do every week. Uh, do you guys remember like when you transitioned from junior high to high school or high school to college and you went to a new school and before school started, there was freshman orientation uh, and you would go to that because you, know, you didn't know where the cafeteria was or where to pick up your mail or where the... The ladies or the gentlemen hung out in the yard, right? You had to get your bearings as to where everything was, how to find the gym and that sort of thing, because you didn't know. And you were going to this place, and you were going to spend a whole bunch of time there and invest a bunch of energy. So you went to freshman orientation to orient yourself to what you were about to experience. Uh, And we're going to spend the next eight, nine, ten weeks in Nehemiah. And so I want to orient us to where we are in this story what we're looking at, why what we've read this morning matters, where it comes from, so you kind of get a sense as to where the cafeteria is and where the the lunchroom is and and, and the mailbox and all that kind of stuff. Um, And we're going to start by connecting Ezra and Nehemiah together. Uh, A lot of people believe that these two books, which come right next to each other in our our Bible, were actually one book. Uh, They they have two different names in our text, but they were uh, seen as one work by a large portion of the church, and especially the Jewish community. Um, one author who has written a commentary writes this. He says, We may therefore conclude by affirming that there's good reason to approach Ezra and Nehemiah as two parts of a single work, and that this work is to be regarded as complete as it stands. Uh, Luke and Acts in the New Testament is one work by the same author. It's two volumes, right? Ezra and Nehemiah. They're telling the same story, two different parts. Uh, So it's important to keep these things together. So how does this compilation begin? If Ezra and Nehemiah are to be taken as one, how does the story start? Uh, The beginning of a story matters, and it often sets the trajectory for where it's headed. If you think about the book of Exodus, it begins with, these are the names. By the way, uh, in the the Jewish Bible, uh, the books of the Bible are the first words of the book. So Exodus is not called Exodus, it's called These Are the Names. These are the names of those who came from, uh, those who went down to Egypt with Joseph or Jacob. Uh, And it sets the stage for what you're about to read in Egypt and the Exodus story. So Ezra and Nehemiah are together, they're one book, so how does it start? If you have your Bibles, turn back to Ezra chapter 1, where we read this. 
Uh, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm, and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, in Judah. Any of his people among you, may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Has anybody been on the internet this last week? Any internet surfers? few of you, yeah, okay. Uh, you go to a website, a webpage, and you're on there, and then oftentimes you'll find something that's highlighted, right? Blue or bold or yellow, and you can click on that thing, and what's that thing called? A what? Hyperlink, that's correct. It's called a hyperlink. A hyperlink is actually a, a perfect metaphor for what biblical authors are often doing in the Bible. So Ezra begins, and he offers to you a couple of important ideas. Jeremiah, Cyrus, returning and rebuilding. And that, in a, in a, in a sentence, unlocks or, or hyperlinks to a whole backstory that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah assume you know. They assume you've got it locked and loaded all this stuff about Jeremiah and Cyrus and Persia and Babylon and returning and rebuilding, and they just assume you've got it, right? So if that's where the story begins, then who is Jeremiah? What was he even talking about? Who is Cyrus and what's Persia and Babylon? So we're going to orient ourselves, all right? Um, a brief reminder of Israel's history. I don't have a screen, so we're going to the whiteboard. You all remember that the story of Israel begins with the Exodus, a lot of Jewish scholars would argue that the Bible begins in Exodus. Genesis is prologue. It's the introduction. But the Exodus story is where the Bible really begins. It's the first act in God's redemptive movement. So you have the Exodus, and then you have, uh, we could call it the wilderness or the wanderings, where Israel is wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years. They go out. They're promised a place in the promised land, but of course they don't make their way there. A whole generation dies out in the wilderness. Before they enter the promised land, this is the land flowing with milk and honey, the place that God has set apart for them to live as a city on a hill, an example for all the nations, because the goal is that the nations will come and see, that they will know what it looks like to be in relationship with Yahweh, the one true God. They live in the promised land, and for a while they do okay, but then they sort of fall into a period of uh, duress, right? They're struggling. They're not really living into the covenant terms, and so God sends them judges, 13 of them, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to bring them back, to say, come back this way. The covenant looks like this. This is how you're to act. This is how you're to live. And they do for a while, and then they don't. They do for a while, and then they don't. It's a little bit like raising teenagers. The judges come, and then they ask for a king. They're looking around, and they've, uh, they see their neighbors. They've all got kings, and so they're like, well, hey, how about we get a king? And God's like, you don't want a king. I promise you, here's what's going to happen. This is what it will look like. This is what will happen to your sons and your daughters. You don't want a king. And they say, we do want a king. And God acquiesces. God accommodates and gives them a king, which leads to not just one kingdom, but two kingdoms. You have the north and you have the south. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, Israel and Judah, right? The 12 sons of Jacob. These folks up in the north in 722 get carted away by the Assyrians. They come in and take over and basically wipe them off the face of the earth. And then in 586, the Babylonians come from uh, what would be north and east, and they take over the southern kingdom, right? 
Now, what we've just read here in Ezra and Nehemiah is when we get down to the return of the exiles from like 530 to 400 BC, they return back to the city and they begin to do some of this work. But remember, Ezra has just mentioned Jeremiah. And the prophets are speaking during this period of time. You have Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Amos, Obadiah, a whole host of prophets who are reminding the people who they are. They're calling them back to what they've been invited to. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, this compilation, are hearkening this moment with Jeremiah, right? To fulfill the word of Jeremiah, the prophet. This is what Cyrus does. He makes this decree that people will come and come back to, uh, to the promised land. So this is where we are in the story. The northern kingdom's gone. The southern kingdom's about to be invaded by Babylon. And the people are about to be carted off into exile. Jeremiah the prophet speaks these words. He speaks of idolatry. And he uses a metaphor of adultery. So if Israel is in relationship with Yahweh, right, a covenant marriage as it were, Jeremiah throughout the whole book is talking about these, this idolatrous uh, they're worshiping other gods, and he does so using a metaphor of an adulterous woman. And he says that God's wrath is like a cup that's starting to be full, like God's frustration and anger and sadness and, uh, well, wrath is like being poured into this cup, and this cup is about to be poured out. So Jeremiah, long book, 52 chapters, the largest prophet uh, in terms of a work, can be broken up into three sections. It's about the warnings to Israel, the actual judgment to Israel, and then God's judgment for the nations in Babylon, right? He warns Israel for 25 chapters, don't keep going down this path. Come back this way. Act in this fashion. Stop doing these things. Start doing these things. Their idolatrous and adultery has left them uh, like blind and deaf to the needs of the oppressed and the poor among them. So those who are on the margins, those who Israel was supposed to care for and take in and tend to, their, uh, their lack of worship of Yahweh has led them to being blind and deaf to these folks. He's like, hey, listen up, 25 chapters. The next section is like the actual judgment. Somebody's going to come in and basically destroy your city. And that happens in the form of Babylon, right? And then the last part of Jeremiah, he says uh, to the nations around and to Babylon, God allows Babylon to be the, the, the means of, of judgment, you know, the, the cup of wrath being poured out. But Babylon doesn't get off the hook, right? They're an idolatrous nation. They're doing terrible things, sacrificing children, so on and so forth. And so God says, them as well, right? That's the whole of Jeremiah. If you could sum up Jeremiah's book, it's about covenant. And right in the middle, it's about their covenant relationship with God and their lack of faithfulness to it. But then right in the middle of the book, Chapters 29 to 33, it's called the Book of Consolation. And if you've ever heard Jeremiah quoted in the New Testament, Jesus talks about it, the writer of Hebrews talks about it, uh, Hallmark talks about it, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, everybody's quoting this section of Jeremiah. Why? Because right in the smack dab middle of judgment, like coming, and judgment actual, is this Book of Consolation. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for a hope and a future. Plans to bring you back together. It says, I'm going to take your hearts of stone, and I'm going to write on them the law, Torah. And it's not going to be on stone anymore, these tablets. It's going to be on the hearts of men and women, on flesh. This is right in the middle of Jeremiah. So there's this, like, glimmer of hope. It's about covenant 
and faithfulness to covenant. It's about returning and rebuilding and restoring a remnant of Israel. Why? So that the nations, think Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 9, Ezekiel 36. When this happens, when God returns, when there's the people living together, worshiping Yahweh, the nations will stream to the temple, right? And water will flow out from the temple, Ezekiel 36, and it will heal the nations in the world. And the kingdom of God will be... So, now you might be thinking to yourself, Micah, that's a lot, and it's not even about Ezra and Nehemiah. Why did you do that? All of this is like locked and loaded to the reader who opens Ezra and Nehemiah. This whole story, and it's a story about hope. It's a story about rebuilding and a group of people coming together and being a family and worshiping and, and like healing coming to the world and to the nations. All that is in the preface. When Ezra opens his mouth and says, this happens to fulfill the word of the, the prophet Jeremiah. So, now that you have all that in the background, if you could, this is my favorite feature of this thing, watch this. Oh, wow! Ezra and Nehemiah could be broken up into five sections. That one got a little small, sorry about that. Uh, Ezra, 1 through 7, 8 through 10... Uh, Nehemiah 1 through 7, 8 through 12, and then chapter 13. Remember Jeremiah, right? It's about returning, rebuilding, and what? We're talking about Jerusalem, the temple, we're talking about Torah, and we're talking about the actual city of God. So, ironically enough, Ezra and Nehemiah follow that progression. What's rebuilt is uh, the temple of Israel first in Ezra's first section right here. Second is the Torah being reinstalled into the community in the last section of, of Ezra. When Nehemiah opens, it's all about the walls of the city being rebuilt. The second or th uh, section of, of Nehemiah is about, uh, what would we say, worship or, um, yeah, we'll call it worship. And then this is a real downer, friends. <laughs> Regression. <laughs> When we get to Nehemiah 13, it's a real depressing end to the story. But we won't fast forward. We'll, we'll get there soon enough. So this is the progression of Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Now, that's all background for our study of Ezra and Nehemiah, particularly for us, Nehemiah. So we open Nehemiah's book, and what does he say? In the month of Kislev, the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanat, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who had gone back. Isn't that so fun? Who had gone back after being exiled in Babylon. They've come back. A, a third wave of, of deported Israelites have come back. And he asked them. And they say... There's great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken. Its gates have been burned with fire. And what is Nehemiah's response? He's like, well, here's the plan to fix it. Here's the next steps. We're going to do this, 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 and this. We're going to find a new denomination. We're going to find a new... No, actually, he weeps. And he mourns. He grieves. He fasts and he prays for days. That's his first response. They report to him that there's trouble and disgrace, that the walls have been destroyed. So this morning, before we move on in the book of Nehemiah, and we 
study and learn about what did he do to rebuild the walls of the city of God, which is an amazing story, to be clear. Nehemiah's just heard the news that the hopes and the dreams of God's people have been dashed. They have been decimated. They lie in a pile of rocks and rubble. And we've just been told as a church that like the family we've journeyed with for 13 years, friends, that's not insignificant. The family that we thought would be there with us as we moved on into whatever the next season of our church would be, they're sort of heading out of port without us. If you've ever been sailing before or you've been on a boat, imagine like a whole bunch of your friends like are on this boat and they're like, you can't get on it. And they put the sails up, and they, they, they leave. And they're headed in a direction that you actually think might be damaging, that you're concerned about. And a whole bunch of people that you still care about and love are on that boat. But you're back in the harbor trying to find a boat to ride. So before we move on, before we move too quickly to what's next, I wanted to take this week, this first Sunday back together in our building, to take some time to grieve and to mourn. And some of you may be walking into this this morning and you have no idea what I'm talking about. You don't know what the covenant is. You don't even know what denomination is. You're just, you found Awaken. Wonderful. We're really glad that you're with us. We're trying to catch you up on a story that's been going on. And some of you, like there are third and fourth generation covenant people in this room. There are folks who have pastoral licenses in this room through the covenant. And so this is a big deal for us as a church. Um, I, think, I think oftentimes in Christian circles, my experience has been, think about like Holy Week, right? Easter. We're, we're really big on the crucifixion, right? Because something happens there and that's important. Jesus is, is a whole bunch of different things, but you know... One of our favorites is a substitution for our atonement. The sin of the world on Jesus instead of on me, right? That's a big deal. So we've, we talk a lot about that. And then we, as soon as that's over, right? Like as soon as the, the period's on that sentence, we jump to Sunday and we start talking about resurrection. You know, he can't be dead because that's not good. But what we miss is Saturday, there's a day in the church calendar called Holy Saturday. I don't know if you know this or not. It's one of the reasons why I love the calendar. Because it forces you to not skip the steps. And when we skip from Friday to Sunday, we miss a day, but a season, a moment, when you don't know what's next. If you're there on, on the ground when it happens, the hopes and dreams of God... Everything you thought was true and right and good and where this thing is headed is like smashed to a million pieces. And there is no plan B. You don't know what's coming next. And it's actually pretty hopeless for a moment. And when we skip that moment, when we skip naming what happens in that space, I think we actually miss out on something very important. This, this is just true in, like, psychology. If you think about someone who experiences trauma, if you don't process that trauma, if you don't name what happened, grieve it, right, you actually, if it's not transformed, you end up transmitting it at some later date in some odd and awkward fashion. To the therapist in the room, can I get a large head nod because you all know what I'm talking about. This is true in the spiritual life as well, friends. When we don't take the time necessary to name 
grieve, mourn, speak those things out into the world, they get stuck in us. And oftentimes we become bitter. Or when we don't talk about what we're feeling, if I'm angry, which I am some days, really angry, sadness and anger are the two things that I keep feeling over and over and over again as I think about what, what just happened. If we don't speak those things out, if we don't name them, if we don't process them and work them through, if we don't allow the Spirit to transform them in us, it's inevitable that we transmit them. So, I don't want to skip Holy Saturday. I think it's a really important day. In your worship, in your bulletins, when do I ever say that? In your lyric sheets that you got, there's a separate sheet that you got with it. And on that piece of paper, it says, what are you grieving, lamenting, angry, or sad about in this moment because of this journey and this outcome? And I want to give you some time and space to actually think about that question. So I'm going to ask uh, the worship crew to make their way back up. Uh, We're going to be headed towards communion, but not before. There's a bit of time here for you to think about that question. And maybe you're new to Awaken. Maybe you're not invested in this thing. Uh, And I would just invite you to consider some other difficult uh, event that's happened in your life. Whether it's connected to your spiritual life, arguably everything's spiritual, so it is. Um, But translate, right, for, uh, for those of you who are new or not really a part of our community. So I'll just share... Very briefly, a couple of things that I personally, like as your pastor, one of your pastors, uh, that I'm really grieving. And then I want to give you some time to write some of your own things down. And as you make your way up to communion this morning, there's a little pottery piece right here. And I just invite you, if you want to, like go through the process of naming that, writing it out, coming up, receiving the, the, the bread and the wine, and putting that in this place where all the rest of the grief and, and sadness or anger or lament uh, can exist together as a community. Uh, I, I, I'm grieving a couple of things. One of them is that a polarized church has nothing to say to a polarized world. I said this in my address, but I'm really, really saddened by the fact that there was an opportunity for a group of people who maybe didn't see eye to eye on everything to stay together and to be able to offer like a, a model for how to do conflict well. How to be in hard conversations, in tension, without canceling each other. And as I think as, as we think about the next 18 months of our life together as Americans, with an election uh, down the road, sorry to let you know about that, it's coming. But like a polarized church has nothing to say to a polarized world. That just makes me so mad that we had an opportunity to do that. And I say we as if I'm still a part of that, you'll have to... Work with me as I decouple myself from this thing. Uh, They had an opportunity to do that. I'm lamenting the opportunities for camaraderie and for challenge. A friend of mine tells a story, John, who's a Canadian guy. He was at a a gathering for his church who was trying to figure out if they were going to stay in their denomination or not. And there was talk about, like, let's leave so that, you know, all, all the people who disagree with us, we don't have to be with them anymore, effectively. And somebody stands up in the middle of their annual meeting, uh, a woman who is not out uh, as a queer woman, and she stands up and and comes out at this meeting. 
and says to a church gathering, I actually would rather not go be with a whole bunch of people who already agree with me. Like, I'm trying to raise some kids here, and that's not the world that they live in. And I actually would rather be a part of a church where there's tension and there's uh, difference of opinions at times so that my kids can watch and learn how to do conflict well as the people of God. When we just surround ourselves with people who agree with us, there's no opportunity for growth. And I lament that loss for us as a church. And lastly, I, I grieve for the gospel. I grieve for the good news about Jesus in the world. I think about like the queer brothers and sisters who are watching a church say like, effectively, you're all the same, you're a homogenous group of people, and we, we think this is the best way forward for you. And I grieve that that's not good news. I grieve for the church's witness in the world, um, and I'm saddened. I, I hoped to be a pastor who got to like pass on when I got ordained, I knelt on a stage like this, and some group of people, my elders and people who have gone before me, placed their hands on our heads as ordinands, and they blessed us and commissioned us into the work that God had called us to. And I had hoped, I had visions of like being on that stage someday and like offering that blessing to the next generation of pastors and leaders. And that's probably not going to happen. At least not in this group of people that I've spent 13 blasted years investing in. Sorry, guys. And that makes me really mad and really sad. So those are, I'm, 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 I'm modeling for you <laughs> my grief, my lament, and my anger, and my sadness. Because if it doesn't get transformed, it'll get transmitted. So... An invitation to take the next few moments. Jake's going to just give us a little texture. And I want to invite you to sit with that question. What are you grieving, lamenting, angry, or sad about in this moment because of this journey and the outcome of it? So an invitation to that time and space. Uh, usually in March, you know, when everybody's, everyone's, everything around is dead and you're hoping and trusting and praying that, like, things are going to grow again. Um, I don't know if you've noticed outside our windows over here, but, like, there's a garden and it's full of blossoms and blooms and food that's being produced to, you know, feed the world. Um, I have every reason to believe that that's down the road for us that there will be new blossoms and new blooms, uh, that there will be new things to celebrate and give joy, um, and, th and that's, that's coming. Um, so fear not. Um, we're going to be okay, and we have a lot of work to do, right? Um, nothing changes for us in some ways. We keep doing the work that we've been called to do. So um, as I usually say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church said together, amen. amen. Grace and peace. Go and serve the Lord. See you next week. You can find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community.
see you next time.